this must be the fittest church in, in all the coasts of here. You, you get in here, you got to swim your way in, bike your way in. I'm like, wow, I go to a lot of churches, but this is certainly the fittest church. Yeah, yeah. we all do that. <laughs> I figure. Yeah. I, I can see that. Yeah, in, in various expressions of that, yeah. Mm. But yeah. Yes. Well, because you are from Alpha, I thought you could be here this morning and a whole bunch of people know about Alpha. We've run the Alpha course here before, but you may be here and you don't know what on earth is Alpha. It's like the, the first letter of the Greek alphabet. What are we yeah. talking about here? Can you tell us what is Alpha and what's it, how does it work? I'd love to. Uh, faith invites questions. Jesus often responded to people saying, uh, what do the scriptures say? And, and, and this is all what Alpha is about. It's a series of videos exploring big questions of life. So who is Jesus? Why did he die? How can I have faith? And uh, it's, you know, many of you will probably know of Alpha. It's been around a while. Um, but maybe you don't know that, uh, that it's new and improved. It's been upgraded over the years. Nikki has a new sweater. Um, it's exciting. And, uh, and, but no, seriously, it, there's all sorts of new content that's coming out all the time, just equipping us to invite our friends to share our faith. Yeah. And um, it's incredibly well used. So I was part of Alpha in the early days when it kind of took off here in Australia because yeah. it comes from the UK. And when he says Nikki, He's the guy who wrote the original book that the course is based on. And um, yeah, I'm glad he updated his sweater. That's cool. <laughs> it's fresh. Um, important, <laughs> That's to, important to know that. Can you tell us why the ALF course is still useful in this kind of cultural moment that we find ourselves in? Yeah, one of the incredible things is that, you know what, 80,000 uh, Australians last year went through Alpha exploring questions of faith. And almost everyone, I think it's five out of six that go through it will make a commitment of some kind. So it is incredibly well used. In the next couple of years, we're gonna pass the million participant milestone in Australia alone. So it's quite exciting, well received in the community. And, uh, and I'm just shocked by the McCrindle research that I found. And as a pastor, I found it so incredibly empowering to know this, um, that, that it's one in four would come explore questions of faith and life if they're invited by a friend or family member, one in four. And it's one in two if you're below the age of 25. So there's this incredible hope, uh, a hunger out there, and people are eager to find a hope. I mean, we know that lifeline numbers were going off the charts through COVID and beyond. So there, there's a hunger out there, and yet two-thirds of the Australian population don't know somebody that regularly goes to church. So here we are. This is the greatest season of evangelism in our generation. So that's why I'm so eager to go around and say, hey, let's go for it, guys. This isn't about Alpha. This is about people coming to know Christ and a relationship mm. with Him. Yeah. And so that's, uh, this is a great moment to get involved. Yeah, so good. So, so, so if I've asked three people and they've said no, I'm just going to ask one more person and they'll be the one that says yes. Statistically. One yes. in four, yes. All right. Yes. Um, so how could the average person that comes along to Good Life sort of make use of the Alpha course? What would that look like for them? Yeah, so what I would say is this. Right now, um, grab, you were probably handed one of these when you walked in, praying for five friends. This is a, just an easy way, and it's encouraging for me to do um, all, whenever I'm about to run another alpha. I say, who are five people that I can invite? And I just write their names down. It could be, um, it could be a family member. It could be a neighbor, someone maybe at, at the gym here uh, that you're rowing beside or, or something like that. Um, just write their names down, and then just ask them. And I used to ask in such a way that I, I'm not even sure if they knew what I was doing by the end. I would just say, hey, would you want to go to Alpha with me? And if you don't come, it's okay. I'll still like you, but I would like you to come. But and by the end of it, they're like, I don't know if they were inviting me to anything. So I, I, I've learned 
that it's my responsibility to make the invitation. It's the Spirit's responsibility to reveal Christ, to convict uh, people's hearts, to, to, to move in people's hearts already. And God is already at work in their life. So my responsibility is to invite and say, would you like to come to Alpha with me? Stop talking. That's the hard part for me. Stop talking. And then see how they respond. And they'll say, well, what is it? Well, it's a, it's a series of videos. We, we watch a video, we have a meal, and we talk about the videos. Why don't you come one week? I'll pick you up. We'll go together. And if, it, and if you enjoy it, keep coming. And if not, no worries. And just see how they respond. That's my encouragement. Yeah. And that's such a great point. Uh, a key phrase you just said then is, with me. Yeah. Um, one of the best things is to not say to someone, you should do the Alpha course, but rather, hey, I'm, I'm going to go along to this course. Do you want to come with me? Yep. Um, many years ago, um, there was a, a gentleman whose wife and daughter um, came to our church back in Sydney. And um, we were running the Alpha course. And I said to him, uh, do you want to come and do the Alpha course? And he was like, no. <laughs> and um, he said, I'm not interested. I'm happy for my wife. I'm happy for my daughter. It's good for them. Yep. But I'm not interested at all. Yep. And I said, well, if you change your mind, I'm going to be there. Uh, as I'm kind of one of the organizers of it, so you can come along with me. And he goes, well, maybe. Uh, and, and that was a little, ah. Oh. And then he ended up coming along. And every week he sat there with his arms folded. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And he'd say, I'm not really into this. And then at the end, he said, this is pretty good, actually. It actually helped me answer lots of questions, lots of things, assumptions I made about faith. And it was amazing. We weren't giving him, telling him what to believe. Yeah. We were inviting him to explore, and it was incredible. He started coming to church ever since after that, so it's pretty cool. Ah, oh, so good. And one of the really exciting things, and this is really a passion point for me right now, is uh, just about every Baptist church in Queensland, uh, in sometime in, in term three or up ahead, is going to be running Alpha. So there is a great movement happening here where many people are going to be exploring questions of faith, and I really believe that God is going to move in a powerful way. Yeah, it's cool. Well, Ryan's going to bring the message for us. With some. Can I pray for you? Lord, I just thank you for Ryan. I thank you for his heart and passion to um, share the love of Christ. And we thank you for how you've been using the Alpha Course to introduce so many people to the good news, the gospel, that you are Lord of all creation and you love and are for every person. And Lord, you have a good plan for this planet and for each of us. Lord, I pray that as he shares with us this morning, our hearts will be open to what it is you want to say to us by your spirit. And we thank you that he's here with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if we have any fans out there of the so-called classic Sound of Music movie. Any fans out there of the Sound of Music? Oh, fantastic. This is going to be great. Uh, a couple years ago, my wife and I were traveling around Europe, and we made this agreement that we could each choose one thing that the other person would have to participate in and, uh, and, and, and happily do so. I, I made my choice when I was in Normandy. We did this Band of Brothers tour, and I assumed she had a great time. And uh, it's a World War II Band of Brothers tour. And, uh, and then we got to this, this uh, place in Austria, Salzburg, Austria. And I remember the moment that my wife's eyes just lit up because she saw an advertisement, uh, a, a three-hour bicycle tour with the sound of music. 
And I, I, I was, she, she assured me, you're going to have a great time. It's going to be wonderful. You're going to see all the sites and where things were filmed, and it'll be fine. You know? And she said, don't worry, you're, you're going to get a great bike. They'll give you like a mountain bike. You can kind of hang out with the guys at the back. And Well, we arrived, 20 happy ladies and me, <laughs> and I got a bike. And I'm pretty sure it was the original Maria bike. I got on this thing, and my butt was dragging on the ground, and, and, and I looked like a gorilla on this thing. And on this bike with 20 happy ladies, it, it, they had a basket for my purse, and it had a bell. And every time the bell would ring, it, it, it was like a warning for me. You hear the bell ring, and soon another sound of music song was about to begin. And I learned a lot about women who love the sound of music along this three-hour singing circus bicycle tour. First was this, act like you're having a great time, or they will help you have a great time with further participation. Secondly, women must train for this tour because they know every line of every song, no matter how many times it had already been sung that day. And thirdly, if you even whisper a few lines, of any part of any song, I promise you, it is like throwing petrol on fire. They will spontaneously join with you at any moment. And so I love coming as a guest speaker because I can do things, I can experiment, and if it doesn't work, I go home. And I just leave it with, with, with Mike and he can handle it. So I just thought as a little bit of an experiment this morning for the fans of Sound of Music especially, um, a little singing experiment. And uh, if I said do, I would hear? Okay, Ray. Me. We're warming up. Far. Oh boy, I'm getting scared. So. Oh wow. La. T. This is frightening. And that will. Wow, well done, guys. Well done. I'm gonna need counseling again. You're bringing back nightmares, but that's okay. Today, I wanna to talk to you about the power of an invitation. The power of an invitation. And let me ask you this. If someone were to ask you why Jesus matters, what's so good about the gospel, what might you say? What might you say? I was recently asked that question by a rather talented musician who has nothing to do with, with Christian faith, didn't grow up in the church or anything like that. Why is Jesus so good? And I responded in much like this. I said, well, as a musician, God's word is like a love song that started long ago. The song is good. It's changing the world. We can join along any time. Jesus is leading the way. Some know the words. Some are just learning the words. And some will soon hear it for the first time. But this is more than a song. This is a true story where God has stepped into history to make a way for a new destiny. And we're all invited to be a part of that great song. 
this good news, to live out of this historic reality that makes a way for a new destiny that he has in mind ahead. And we're all invited. And after the resurrection, Jesus commissioned his followers to share this good news of his kingdom, his reign. Matthew 28, 18, it says, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Make disciples. It's written in the imperative mood. So it has a sense of which it's as you go about the everyday places of life, in your work, in your play, in your rest. Be in the process of living out of this song, this reality, that we would share the message of his good news. We have this great commission to share, and yet I think it's all too easy to let it become like background noise. I found that most people, including myself at times, become nervous about sharing our faith. Maybe we'll just leave it to the extroverts. You know, maybe we're worried we don't have the right voice, the right words. But we'll just encourage those extroverts in church. You know, they're highly caffeinated. They're eager. Let's just let's let, let them go for it. But imagine if the church began to take the last command of Jesus and made it a first priority in a season such as this. This is the power of an invitation to come and see. Come and see what Christ has done for us. Because so much about sharing our faith is simply that. Come and see. Come and see with me. I could tell you story after story, and, and just a, a few of them that have really touched my heart as I've, I've gone around and spoken at different places. One of them is a, a guy named Adam. Adam's an airline pilot. And uh, Adam, during COVID, he lost his job, you know, when the planes shut down. And uh, he found himself in a, a very financial struggle where he couldn't meet his mortgage, and he lost his house. And then Adam was having marital difficulties that all these things compounded and suddenly his relationship fell apart. And one day, Adam found himself living on the streets of Brisbane, unsure how he had arrived at this point at life. And Adam said that somebody came up to him, they fed him a meal and invited him to, to come to Alpha, explore faith, and he did. Week one, week two, week three, suddenly he's coming to a relationship with Christ, and now he's in church every week. And he said uh, to one of the pastors that he now goes to church, he says, I've never gone through so much strife and struggle and yet had so much peace now that I have a relationship with Christ. But it all happened because somebody invited him to come and see. I know another story of uh, a lady named Cherie. I met Cherie about uh, 10 months ago now in Brisbane. We were at a, a, an event in the Logan area, and Cherie uh, cornered me at this event, and she said, I have a story to tell you. She goes, I was doing time in prison about 12 years ago, and somebody invited me to come to Alpha, and I was not a person you would ever imagine would do anything like that. I was leading groups and telling them what to do. I was a, 
one of those people in the prison systems. She said, I went week one. My, I was like, what, what else was I going to do? I was bored. I said no at first, but, you know, they're offering cookies. So she goes in, and she's eating the cookies, and she's listening week one, week two, week three. Pretty soon, she's coming to a relationship with Christ. She said, 12 years on, now she's leading and one of the, a leading member of the church. She's going back into the women's uh, correctional facilities, and she's actually running Alpha, and then helping people as they get, come out and, uh, and get their lives organized uh, outside of uh, doing time in prison. And it's all because of an invitation. Somebody cared enough to invite them to come and see. And I could tell you story after story of how this has happened over and time again. That we each have a part to play in the places that God has put us, in the everyday places of life, to be commissioned to play our part in the greatest decision someone can make, a decision for Christ. I've already told you some of the stats out there, but I just find it stunning. One in four would come if somebody would invite them. If they're over the age of 25, one in two if they're below that, I mean, there is a hunger, there is an eagerness, and yet two-thirds of the population of Australia don't know somebody that regularly goes to church. And at a time when lifeline numbers are breaking records all the time, who's going to go? Who's going to tell them? This is the greatest season of evangelism in our generation. We've all come to Jesus through a relationship. Romans 10, 14 says, how can people call for help if they don't know who to trust? How can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one who can be trusted? And how can they hear if nobody tells them? And how is anyone going to tell them unless someone has been sent to do it? I thank God that he has sent someone. It's you and I. The body of Christ working together in our own voice, in our own ways. Not that we have it all neatly put together, but we've encountered the one who restores all things. Each of us has come to faith through a relationship. I mean, how many of us here grew up in the church? Grew up in the church. It's probably people like parents, grandparents, neighbors that brought us along. They took time to care for us, to bring us along the way. And maybe we came to faith as an adult but I'm sure that there were certain people in your life that helped you journey through the process of coming to know Christ. And perhaps we're sitting here today and we're not even sure where we're at in our faith or who Jesus is or why he's so good. You're probably here, though, because someone who cares about you invited you along, said this is a place where you can come explore these questions. William Temple once said that the act of bringing someone to Jesus is the greatest service one person can render another, one another. And it happens in the context of everyday life. I find it so encouraging and so uh, uh, the pressure off us knowing these three things. God is already on the go in the lives of those around us. God is already at work in the people around us. We're not starting at zero with them. Secondly, the Spirit is the lead evangelist. It's not us. It's not a pastor. It's not a Bible track or anything like that. It's only the Spirit that can reveal Christ for who He is. And thirdly, we each have a role to play, however small it might seem. God has given us this grace 
to be a part of his body to do these things. I love how Daryl Johnson then def defines evangelism. He says, we are entering a conversation the Spirit is already having with somebody. We're inviting people to come and see, to listen in more deeply into the goodness of God and His plans for our lives. There's so much power in an invitation. Jesus often said to, to people, come, follow me. And the disciples often said, come and see. An invitation is like a, a mini proposal that has this potential to transform destiny. I mean, most relationships and marriages started by way of invitation. They took one look at me and they thought, invitation. I'm going to invite them to coffee, to a park walk, to the movies. I mean, most adventures start why, by somebody inviting us. Do you want to come along with us? We're going on this great thing. Come and see. So many great adventures start by way of invitation. And throughout scriptures, we recognize that God sends everyday people, over and over again, everyday people who have encountered Jesus with courage to share. Everyday people. You know, if you were picking the dream team for the most important mission on earth, who would you begin to pick? I mean, put yourself in the position of what it would have been like when Jesus comes announcing his kingdom reign. This is what it looks like. What would you do? What would you do? Like, like imagine it. Suddenly, Jesus is saying, my kingdom is coming. This is what it looks like. Here's a foretaste of it. Where the blind see, the hungry are fed, the lame stand up and walk. The mentally ill are made well. He's saying, this is just a taste of what's yet ahead. What would you do? I know what I would do. I would assemble like the best and the brightest. Let's, let's go find out who, let's get a social media campaign going. Let's get, let's get everything together. We need everyone on the A-list team to be running this show. But listen here on, on Jesus as he picks his first disciples. It says this in Matthew 4, 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. How incredible that Jesus enters this poor backwater area called Galilee, a place that people would even make fun of in those days to make his first round draft picks. So right away we see this isn't about what we can do for God or what our capacities are, but what he has done for us and celebrating that as we go. These were just fishermen, Peter and Andrew. You know, if they would have been the bright students of that time, they would have been sent off to, to study the Torah, you know, off to Bible school. And then what would happen? Well, after they go to study the Torah, they would ask a rabbi, can I follow you? And Jesus makes this incredible reversal. He goes back into the poor backwater areas and says, come and follow me. Because this is what God is doing for us. It's the reversal. Now catch people with the wonderful good news of my kingdom reign. Come and see and how incredible is it that after the resurrection, it's these very same 
everyday people who went on to share this good news and totally transformed the world. In Acts 4.13, we read about it when, when Peter's hauled into the courts. They want an account for this message that is totally overturning society at that time. And it says, when the authorities in this court area saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They've been with Jesus, just as we are today. His presence abiding in us. That's what qualifies us. God sends everyday people who have encountered him with the courage to share. And we can't encounter Jesus for who he really is without recognizing our own need of a savior. The gospel sounds like good news when we realize we've got problems that are beyond our own strength, beyond what we can solve in our own power. In Matthew 21, 31, Jesus tells the neat and tidy religious crowd, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom ahead of you. He's not trying to say, guys, pick up your game, work harder. He's saying, give up on the idea that you can make it on your own. Follow me. We need to encounter Jesus for who he really is, Savior, that we would be able to share the good news of what God has done. You know who the greatest messenger in the gospel is? The, the people that brought the most people to hear Jesus? You would think it was somebody that grew up in the right area, went to the right school, drives the right car. No. It's a Samaritan woman at the well. She brings her whole town to encounter Jesus. In John 4, you read about it. I'll let, I'll let you read about it later, but just think about it for a moment, how incredible this is. The Samaritan woman at the well, the whole town for Jesus. Firstly, she's a woman. And women in that time were treated terribly. Their testimony in the courts of law wasn't even considered valid. Then she's a Samaritan. She's considered like a, a half-breed, like the wrong sort of people group. It's the sixth hour. So it's the middle of the day, and this is a hot desert climate. And at that time, you know, the, the women, they would get up in the morning, they'd go together in a group, they'd go to the well, collect the water for the needs of the day, and then they would go, go bring it home. What, what is this woman doing in the middle of the day on her own? Now, I, I wouldn't be surprised to find out that she was a bit of an outcast, that she was alone and lonely. Five broken marriages when you read this story. Five times rejected by a man. And now she's living with a guy. Because in those times, if you didn't have a guy connected with you, it's probably you didn't have financial security. You probably didn't have a roof over your head. It was those kind of dark times. And you can imagine her thinking all this time when, you know, growing up as a child, I thought I would get married and have kids. This is what my life was going to look like. I've been rejected. I'm alone. And yet she encounters Jesus for who he really is, a savior. And he's, Jesus says, I'm offering something more, living water that offers to quench the thirst you have in life. And we know we're living in a time and culture where people are so thirsty. And she's so excited when she meets this Jesus. 
She runs back to town saying in 429, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be? She doesn't even know. She hasn't even figured it all out. She doesn't have all the answers. But could this be? Come and see. And the townspeople came out. They made their way towards Jesus. And they said to the woman, eventually, after a few days, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know this man truly is the Savior of the world. How incredible. An entire town came to Jesus because of this one woman who said, come and see. God is sending everyday people who have encountered him with courage to share. Courage not being the absence of fear, but a willingness to keep going despite it. You know, the disciples knew fear. They hid behind, remember, locked doors. When Jesus is crucified, in fear that they're going to be next. But something beyond their fears passed through. A living hope, our Savior. And it moved them in such a way that they were willing to step beyond their fears and the locked doors to say, I will go out and spread this news. And I just wonder in our own lives, what keeps us from sharing the truth of his good news? What keeps us afraid from inviting people to come and see? What would move us to share this good news? You know, the church is not a location. It's a movement of friends inviting friends, family inviting family, inviting strangers. And we would pray for people. We would invite them. We would bring them. I mean, you just think about how many times in Scripture people just said, come, come and see. You think about uh, Mark 2, four loyal friends. Many of you will just know the story already, but four loyal friends, they pick up their friend who's paralyzed, and they start to bring him to Jesus. Imagine they've been praying for this guy for years. Now they're bringing him. Did he even want to go? I don't even know. Imagine how awkward it would have been as, as they're tearing through the roof because there's so many people trying to get to Jesus that can't get in. So here they are breaking through the roof, lowering them down. And I don't know if he wanted to go or not, but I'm pretty sure he was glad that they took him when he walked out of there a healed man. Come and see. Come and see. Andrew invites his brother Peter and says, come and see this Jesus in John 1. This is about friends inviting friends. Who can you invite to come and see? Because I don't ever want to die wondering what would have happened if I would have been praying for my friends. I don't ever want to die wondering what would have happened if I just would have invited them. If I just said, would you come with me? And my fear is that we let the gospel become background noise at this time when so many people are looking for hope. What if God was already prepared to move if the church was ready to move with his spirit? 
that God, that we've been praying, God, would you re release revival across Australia? What if he was ready if we would move with what God wanted to do? We need the whole body to do it. In our everyday places where we've already been put, in our everyday relationships, the body of Christ, not that we've got it all organized or figured out, but probably because people can recognize the weaknesses we have. But it's not about us, it's about what He has done for us. God is sending everyday people who have encountered Him to share the invitation. I'll finish with a story. Albert McMakin was a 24-year-old farmer who had recently come to faith in Christ. He was so full of enthusiasm that Albert filled a truck full of people and took him to a meeting to hear more about Jesus. And there was this good-looking farmer's son. He was especially keen to get to this meeting. But this young man was hard to persuade. He was busy falling in and out of love with different girls. He didn't seem to be attracted to faith at all. But eventually, Albert managed to persuade his friend to come along to the meeting by driving the truck there. And when they arrived, Albert's guest decided to go in and was spellbound, began to have thoughts he had never had before. And Albert's friend went back again night after night until one night he came forward and gave his life to Jesus Christ. And that man, Albert's friend, the driver of the truck was Billy Graham. And the year was 1934. And we know that since that time, Billy went on to minister to millions around the world, sharing the gospel, including here in Australia, where we saw great revival in the late 50s and 70s. And there's not a church I go to on a Sunday and speak where there hasn't somebody who hasn't been touched by the ministry of what God did through Billy's ministry people coming to faith. Is there anyone out there today who has a parent or you yourself, somebody came to faith because of Billy coming? I see lots of hands. We can't all be Billy Graham, but we can all be like his friend Albert and invite somebody to come and see. Billy Graham himself said, I don't need a successor. I only need willing hands to accept the torch for a new generation. And we are living in that generation now where I believe God wants to do great things and is already doing great things. If we were prepared to move with him, we see even more fruit ahead. This is the greatest season of evangelism in our generation.